if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway on a Thursday. And what Thursday is this? It is the ninth morning of the twelfth month of the year of our Lord 2021. Appreciate you being with us. We've got a uh, great show lined up for you today. Got a lot of very important people to talk to, a lot of very important guests, but of course, none of them are as important as you. I welcome you to join us whenever the urge strikes you and the opportunity is available. Remember, sometimes you got to hit it where they ain't. That baseball reference that I like to use. Uh, whenever there's no guests, and we do have three of them today, uh, that's when the opportunity for you to strike is there, and you got to hit it. So save the number, put it on your, put it on your. Um, uh, on your phone, on your uh, speed dial, if you will, so that you can always dial me up at a moment's notice when we have the opportunity at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will bring you here. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you today. We have a lot to do. Uh, coming up on the program, we've got uh, Dr. Everett Piper. Don't forget, he is with us each and every Thursday. He's loaded for bear. Did you know that Dr. Piper, in addition to being a brilliant conservative political pundit and author and analyst, he's also a candidate. He's running for county commissioner in his native Oklahoma. And uh, he's going to respond today, which he did in his his, um, uh, his uh, newspaper uh, column. He writes for the Washington uh, Times every week. He responded there as well. Uh, Dr. Piper uh, is going to respond to one of his political opponents who has called him a religious, a right-wing religious nut job because he is indeed an evangelical. Uh, he is indeed a very strong, outward, very, very pro-Christian uh, person of faith. Um, and he's, you know, he's unapologetic for that. And apparently that makes him a right-wing religious nut job. The job that he did in deconstructing that that attack in the Washington Times article is phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to let him kind of verbalize it to, uh, for you uh, coming up here at about 10.10 this morning. So uh, that is one guest. We're also going to be speaking coming up here very shortly with Bonnie Snyder. Bonnie Snyder is the author of a new book that you should be aware of, Undoctrinate. That's right. Not indoctrinate, but undoctrinate. How politicized classrooms harm kids and ruin our schools and what we can do about it. 
So Bonnie Snyder, author, is going to be joining us. Uh, very, very much looking forward to this. We've been uh, had been kind of nibbling around the edges of a conversation with this author for a bit now. Uh, but thanks to our friends uh, uh, at the Ohio Freedom Fighters and my friend uh, Melanie Stolarski, we're able to put this together. So we'll talk to Bonnie coming up here. I believe that'll be at nine thirty-five. And then uh, what else do we have? This oh, Kenny Sue is going to be uh, Shu is going to be joining us. I always say that name incorrectly, but Kenny Sue is going to be joining us. We've talked to uh, Kenny before. And we are going to discuss the red kettle and why this year the red kettle should remain empty. I'm talking about the Salvation Army's red kettle. The Salvation Army has gone full woke. It is supposed to be a Christian organization, and instead of preaching unity and faith for all, they are preaching divisiveness, they are preaching oppression, they are preaching uh, condemnation of people based on the color of their skin. Which color? White. That's right. White. The Salvation Army wants people uh, to not only fill their coffers, but apologize for being white while they do it. So Kenny Sue is going to be joining us. He's the author of a book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. He's also the president of Color Us United, which advocates for a colorblind society. And that makes him, of course, an enemy of the uh, American left. So we will talk about the Salvation Army shaking down Americans for coins and for apologies for their color. Apologies for things that they, of course, have never done anything wrong over. So there you go. Uh, those are the guests today. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have, uh, Kenny. Oh, Kenny is actually going to be at 935. My apologies. Kenny's first at 935, then Dr. Piper at 1010, then Bonnie Snyder at 1035. I got a little, got him a little bit out of order there, but that's okay. All of the conversations will be terrific, and I look forward to that. Now, before we get into the news of the day, would you please join me as we start our program with, with the Pledge of Allegiance, as we always do? So, patriots, please stand. If you have uh, a flag nearby, face it. If you don't, that's okay, but put your hand on your heart and join us. Liberals, you just go ahead and put your knee to the ground. We know you don't care about this country anyway. Take your knee while the rest of us say thank you for uh, this phenomenal republic. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yes, indeed. Uh, and my, uh, my, oh, my. The, the losses keep piling up for Joe Biden. Yesterday I started the show by bragging about us winning uh, at the court level, particularly as it pertains to our personal bodily autonomy. Our right to make decisions uh, with our own bodies about how we provide medical care to ourselves and what medical care we require or we rather uh, will choose to accept from physicians. And that's literally what this is all about. If you had a cold and the doctor said, take this medicine, and you say, no, I think I'm okay, I don't need it, uh, that would be the end of it. If you had the flu, the doctor might say, no, seriously, take this medication, take some Theraflu, and you might say, no, I'm going to shake it off, I'll be okay. They may say preventatively, take this flu shot to make sure that you don't get the flu, and you might say, yeah, thanks for the advice, I'm going to consider it, I'm going to ponder it, but eventually uh, I'm going to make that call. That's bodily autonomy, that is medical choice, that's called freedom and nobody would think twice when it was all said and done in all of those circumstances but 
when the government comes at you with take this COVID-19 pseudo-vaccination, this experimental cocktail of a drug that we have not studied in the long term and that has all kinds of adverse reactions and hospitalizations and deaths associated with its distribution, you take that or you can't have a job. Now we've got a problem. So yesterday I started the show talking about how we are winning today. We'll talk about how the government and Joe Biden are losing. And yeah, they're kind of the same story, but we're just going to approach it from a different angle. Uh, in this case, uh, two cases as a matter of fact. Number one, another court decision has gone against the Brandon administration trying to mandate uh, uh, vaccinations. And number two, this is the key. This is bigger, perhaps, then even the court decisions that we continue to see piling up win after win after win for freedom and liberty and autonomy and loss after loss after loss uh, for the branded administration, perhaps even bigger than this, is the legislature is finally having a say. Now, you know that that's a pretty big deal when the Democrats are controlling both houses of the legislature, both chambers of the Congress. It is a pretty big deal. And yesterday... The United States Senate, which is controlled by the Democrats only by virtue of the tiebreaker, and that's why you have the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, still presiding over that completely useless and disastrous body that is stuck in a 50-50 tie with the exception of a tiebreaker by uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, But yesterday, they got two Democrats to join all 50 Republicans in voting to repeal any mandate on employers with more than 100 people from requiring their employees to be vaccinated, which, of course, is Biden's OSHA mandate through the Labor Department. Um, Everybody has been, look, let me just cut to the chase here. The challenges that have been made against those mandates ordered by the Brandon administration have gone to the courts because what they're saying is that the administration, the executive branch, doesn't have the authority to uh, to issue such mandates. Any such mandates would have to come from the legislative body, from the Congress, in the form of a law that is passed. And so far, again, with the stays and the enjoiners of the uh, of these uh, uh, orders by the courts, they would seem to be you know uh, of the same mindset. And so here we go, finally. You just don't expect it because Nancy Pelosi is in charge of one side and Chuck Schumer is in charge of the other side. You just don't expect it, but here it is. It took the leadership of the Republicans in the uh, Senate to introduce a piece of legislation and to actually get two Democrats, Joe Manchin, one of them. And when you're talking about red states, this is what you probably should expect. I would expect Democrat office holders in red states to recognize that their own political futures are probably in some peril. How they got elected as blue um, uh, uh, candidates, you know, Democrat candidates in, in really dark red states is a question in the first place. But the fact that they're there and they know they're going to have to answer uh, to those voters the next time their, their term comes up or they're, you know, they're up for reelection. Um, you would expect more of them to do this, but at least two, or not at least in this case, two Democrats joined and made it a 52 to 48 decision to repeal Biden's mandates. Now, you might say, so what? 
It doesn't matter unless the other chamber goes along with it, and the other chamber, the House side, is not a 50-50 tie. Or in this case, obviously, it's 435 members. It can't be a tie anyway. But there is a slight four-seat majority for the Democrats, and Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker, will never bring this up for a vote anyway. So what's the deal? What's the big deal? And the answer is... Not not much of one, really, from the standpoint of this ever getting passed by both houses. And then Joe Biden signing on <laughs> to repeal his own OSHA mandate. Uh, of course, it's never going to happen. But there is a symbolic effort to this. You know, I played football. It's one of the reasons I like Mike Gibbons. Mike Gibbons is a good guy, one of the candidates, uh, and one of my favorites, by the way. Like I said, I'm not endorsing in that race, but his commercials are all about football, and I kind of relate, right? A lot of his commercials, his campaign ads, are talking about the grit he learned on the gridiron. Uh, In football, there are no such things as moral victories, right? You don't play as an underdog. You know, you're a three-touchdown underdog, and there's no way you have a chance to win. And then you come really close in the end, and you lose, you know, 24 to 23. And we almost had them. We almost got them. We almost got that team that is superior. It's a moral victory. And football coaches, they crap all over that no there's no such thing as a moral victory what's the scoreboard say but that's football in politics and in legislation there are moral victories and in this case this is a huge symbolic moral victory the fact that the senate got two senate republicans got two democrats to join them uh in repealing this mandate is very very a very very strong sign it's a strong sign that, number one, the legislature is willing to be reasonable where the, and at least constitutional, where the executive branch is not. And number two, uh, the legislature is starting to recognize that we're getting closer and closer and closer to not just primaries, but to the actual 2022 midterm elections. And control of Congress is in play. And they're terrified of the red wave that is coming. And so many of them are now looking and saying, how can we try to remove the radical label from our own names? Democrats are trying to figure out how they can appeal to centrist voters, to undecided voters, to moderate voters, even moderate Democrats, who might be leaning toward autonomy, toward freedom, toward liberty, away from the tyranny that is being pushed by the administration. So this is a moral victory, in my estimation. It's a big deal. In a very, very strong, in a hyper-partisan culture that our country, and particularly Washington, D.C., is in right now, hyper-partisan, it's always partisan in D.C., don't get me wrong, never more so than while Trump is president, and perhaps not any more so you know, than right now because of the aftermath of that, Um. So it's always partisan, but right now it's a hyper-partisan, a hyper-divided time. And for Democrats to join Republicans in this effort uh, to stop this this assault on liberty and freedoms, this slippery slope slide, as I described yesterday, toward tyranny, is a big deal. It, will, it, will this legislation go to the House and get passed? No. Will it even be given a vote? No. If it went to Joe Biden, would he sign it? No. But is it a sign of things to come? You better believe it is. It is a positive thing. All right, let me get a quick time out here at 921. I do want to take some phone calls. I've got guests coming out uh, all over the place today. Kenny Zhu is going to be joining us. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper. We're going to talk to Bonnie Snyder. But let's talk to you, too. 216-901-0945, Right back.
Okay, 924. The vote was 52-48, as I mentioned, to uh, put the kibosh on Biden's vaccine mandate for businesses with 100 people or more. I mentioned um, uh, Joe Manchin. I did not mention the name of John Tester from Montana. Those are the two Democrats who were, again, they're in red states already, and how they kind of you know how they got elected as Democrats is a, is a mystery to me in some red states, but nonetheless they voted with the Republicans, meaning this can be sent to the House now. Uh, it's a bipartisan vote because of the support of those two uh, Democrats. It's something that Nancy Pelosi should take very seriously, particularly if she is concerned about keeping her speakership, which she should be. Uh, in uh, trying to stop uh, the tide, the red wave, if you will, that's coming next November, but. You know, predictably, she will. She will, of course, laugh at this, scoff at this, never give it a chance uh, for a vote, and uh, and will continue as you know as is. And we're going to let the courts decide this. Uh, the good news is for me, I think two thirds of the three co-equal branches of government are on the side of personal, medical, and bodily autonomy. I think the courts have made that clear with all of the federal uh, judges who have stayed uh, Biden's orders. All of them. For mandatory vaccination, mandatory profit shots, and now we have at least half of the uh, legislature saying the same thing. Nope, we are against mandates. So that's two-thirds of the three. The only one holding out right now would be, of course, the executive side. All right, let's go to phones, 216-901-0945. And I do see Lisa Woods from Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Hey, Lisa, good morning. Good morning and happy holidays. I hope everyone's getting ready for Christmas in between, uh, you know, the uh, government madness, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. But I'm going to stick with Merry Christmas, if you don't mind. I know there are other holidays, but this is Christmas season, and uh, and God bless everybody, everyone, as uh, as Tiny Tim once said. But uh, I'm going to talk to Dr. Indeed. Piper. Yeah, I'm going to talk to Dr. Piper about this. This is why it's on my mind, Lisa. He wrote a column for the Washington Times about the secularization of this season and the happy holidays and those who are trying to kind of write Christmas out uh, and uh, and just make this holiday season. Right. And uh, it's a really great article, and it's in my head from when I read it yesterday. So uh, I'm going to stick with Merry Christmas because there's a principle involved here, and I hope everybody understands that. That's right. That's right. And and it's a shame that, you know, that these different buzzwords kind of like come in. Happy holidays used to really mean like, you know, this festive thing. And now it's like, you know, yeah, I, I'm not going to say Christmas, so I'm going to say that instead. That That's too bad. They keep on. Well, there, you know, kinda... It is too bad. And, you know, the beauty of it is, is as Dr. Piper pointed out, and I'm just going to give a little, little spoiler here. Uh, you know, he's pointing out people who are anti-Merry Christmas are saying you're promoting religion. You're promoting this Christ character. You're promoting a religion, and that's not right. This should be a secular season. And so they're saying happy holidays instead. And as Dr. Piper pointed out, do they even bother to break down what the word holiday, the origin of the word holiday? Do people understand that holiday comes from holy days? They are still promoting religion, and they're too stupid to even know it. They're trying to secularize. <laughs> they're trying go. to secularize <laughs> a holy day by calling it a holiday, which is a holy day. So, yeah, just let people to <laughs> well, realize. Well, it that. is good wishes indeed, and we do, you know, hope that everyone has a, a wonderful time this Christmas season. Indeed, yes, ma'am, absolutely. So, what's <laughs> See, coming up? I do, I do have a meeting this Saturday. It'll be the last. Um, McFan meeting of the year, and we have Coach Dave, um, the founder of Pass Assault. Uh, you may remember him as um, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer. He was the coach that uh, you know got a lot of grief from praying before the games, and now he's national. He's doing amazing, amazing work across the country. 
So he'll be here this Saturday at the Thirsty Cowboy. Well, that's a great guest. I had Coach Dave on the last time. Well, not the last. I think it was the last time he spoke at an event locally, and it might have been. Yeah, uh, yeah, at and, Ohio Freedom Fighters. Thank I was you. There yeah, too. I was just yes. about to say it might have been Ohio Freedom Fighters. And we had Coach Dave on at that time, too. He's terrific. He's so inspirational. So that'll be a great guest for all of the folks from Medina County, friends and neighbors. No question. Yep. So that, that's 8.30 in the morning at the Thirsty Cowboy right there at 71 and 18. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at the Medina GOP meeting or uh, gala. Yeah, it's a little Christmas gala we're going to have. And I've been asked to uh, give a little talk, uh, talking about the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, and uh, maybe maybe bring it current somewhat. And uh, And I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I just love uh, Medina GOP and also the Strongsville GOP. Those are my two favorite uh, that are local and that really do good work. Great and, organizations, uh, yeah. Great organizations yeah. doing great work on behalf of uh, of all of us, of all of the folks. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, looking forward to uh, Saturday for your next event as well, Medina County Friends and Neighbors with Coach Dave. Lisa, thanks for calling in, and I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Thanks, Bob. All right, 9.30 now, time for news. We'll come back on the other side, talk to Kenny Sue, and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, about what we're going to do to the, with the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army wants you to apologize for this color of your skin. And moreover, apologize directly to people with a different colored skin for all the things that you've never done to them. What? Yeah. Um, we're going to unring the Salvation Army bell coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. of Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. All right, 936, we continue on AM 1420. The Answer. Uh, It is the time of year, of course, you can't walk to a storefront without hearing that bell and seeing that red kettle, and maybe for the last several years or maybe for most of your life you've always said if i've got pocket change it's going in maybe you'll even reach in and pull out a bill and fold it up and tuck it in that little uh, little slot in those kettles it's all for a great cause right it's a christian organization the salvation army trying to help people who are in need and i've got no problem with that never have until now now the salvation army has decided instead of preaching Christian unity or unity from Christianity, they have decided to embrace wokeness and division. And they have decided that white people, uh, I don't care how much money you may drop in the kettle, you must also offer something more. You must offer an apology for your white skin. Moreover, not just a general one, apologize directly to somebody with darker skin and apologize to them and ask their forgiveness for all of the terrible things you have done to them even if you have done nothing to anyone. That's what the Salvation Army is teaching now, and joining us to discuss is Kenny Shu, author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence, and The Fight for Meritocracy. He's also the president of Color Us United, which advocates for a colorblind society, something, of course, you know that I support wholeheartedly. Kenny, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland. Thank you for the time. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me again. 
Did you ever think that that something like the the Salvation Army would fall into uh, you know into the quagmire of wokeness? We see so many corporates, uh, corporate entities uh, doing this. Um, a, a religious organization, or at least a religiously affiliated organization like the Salvation Army, one would not think would be prone to this. So, were you surprised when you read uh, what the Salvation Army is standing for? It's disappointing, but it's not surprising. Um, and when an organization gets administratively so big, and the Salvation Army is a $3.6 billion organization, you know, when it gets, when the administration gets so huge, starts developing new departments and tries to tackle new issues, like the Salvation Army has an International Social Justice Commission now. Ostensibly, it was made to solve real human rights abuses like sex trafficking, prostitution, etc., but since then, it has sort of evolved into an entity that wants to blame America for being a racist country. So I don't blame the ordinary Salvation Army kettle holders or the ordinary officers, who much most of whom that I've talked to are opposed to this woke agenda. But there's no question that leadership right now is, uh, is drifting further and further away from the people and from the people that they care about even going as so as far as to say to uh, denounce colorblindness uh, on their Let's Talk About Racism packet and to try to make surveys to believe that the Salvation Army is an institutionally racist institution. It's so sad. Yeah, it, it is all of those things. Um, what I don't understand, and maybe you can give some thoughts on this, Kenny, is what's the end game here? What's the goal of this? What's the goal of erasing colorblindness and making sure everybody sees color first from, again, a, a, a Christian organization that is really supposed to be about lifting up all peoples, not lifting up some at the, uh, you know, to, to the uh, detriment of others? What's the goal? Well, the goal, is, the goal is raw power. In the Salvation Army's DEI department, for example, they installed two new DEI officers, diversity, equity, and inclusion, for those of you who don't know what it means. And those words all sound nice, but guess what? These DEI officers will have control over the Salvation Army's new curricula materials. That means that if they release something at their College of Officer training, it has to be DEI compliant, and they will have veto power over it. That's a complete curtailment of free speech. That's like 1984 right there. You have, you have speech codes now. You have people saying what can be said and what can't be said. Um, this, the, the goal for, for the people who are peddling this ideology that America is a racist country is to gain raw power over the institution. This is why I've always said in my book, An Inconvenient Minority, and through my group, ColorUsUnited.org, this is why I have always said that CRT is a parasitic ideology. It will take over institutions, and the Salvation Army has a chance right now to rid itself of wokeness by making a statement that America is not a racist country, or they have a chance to go down this rabbit hole and lose itself forever. Um, the goal is raw power. Uh, I agree with you. Um, a lot of that power, I think, comes from 
money and the revenue that they're able to generate. Do you think they've even considered the fact that people like you and me and people all over this country, quite frankly, who have you know platforms and microphones and transmitters, are saying don't donate to the Salvation Army anymore? You know, I don't know what you, uh, you said. They're a uh, you know two point six billion, if I heard you right. Um, uh, you know, uh, dollar charitable organization. Um, I don't know how much of that is generated by the kettles every year, but I would imagine it's going to take a massive hit this year. You'd think that they might consider that before they go on with this uh, with this woke movement. So I asked them to consider that. I, I went up to Commander Hodder and we talked, National Commander Hodder, and you know, and I said, "Will you consider these people who are left behind by this ideology?" Um, and he said, "I will not make a statement denouncing CRT." Um, it was just CRT. He said, "I don't want to be political." Uh, CRT, my friends, is a political ideology. Um, they, there's, a, there's a quote by one of these DEI officers at the Salvation Army that I think is pertinent to every organization that has gone woke. Uh, he says something like, we want to court more corporate giving, and we think that this helps court corporate giving. So basically, they want the Googles and the Facebooks to start contributing to them. Guys, Google and Facebook is never, are never going to contribute to the Salvation Army, okay, um, in any regular amount or to substitute for the donations of ordinary Americans. They already hate the Salvation Army because they think they're Christians and everything like that. Um, Chick-fil-A stopped their donations to the Salvation Army in 2019. And now you try to go the other side, you try to plead with these progressive liberal corporations and you alienate your ordinary givers, the ones who actually give to you, the ones who actually faithfully care about your mission the whole time. Those are who you're alienating with this peddling critical race theory. So I just think it's completely the wrong strategy. Kenny, I uh, have a great deal of respect for you, and I enjoy talking to you, so I'm not going to enjoy disagreeing with you, but I think I might in this case. Not with the last part. You're right. This is going to alienate the traditional giving base, including the Chick-fil-A's of the world and so forth, and just regular folks like you and me who want to help people. You're right about that part, but I think they can be bought. I think Google and the left-wing corporate world uh, that believes in DEI, I call it DIE, by the way, because it's where truth goes to die, diversity, diver, uh, diversity inclusion, and equity. But I, because, you know, Google and, and all the other companies we're talking about that they're looking to court have the same policies. They have their own DIE um booklets and trainings and so forth in their own companies and if they find out hey look at this this christian organization which used to be an enemy is coming to our side and is teaching the same crt same sel same die as we are let's let's take advantage of that let's support them i can see them being bought off that way um maybe maybe um the the the, the point here that i'm trying to make is that they don't have Google and Facebook and the big corporations and the Mellon and Carnegie foundations don't have the same relationship with the Salvation Army as the ordinary donors do. That's why when I talk to, you know, people who've been giving faithfully to the Salvation Army generationally and they hear about this, let's talk about racism packet, the first reaction is heartbreak. I, I get this word a lot. I'm heartbroken. Like, it's like they're parting with an old friend. It's like they're going through a bad breakup. Because they've had the relationship with the Salvation Army for so long, the relationship that would 
stand the test of time, and they would never believe that the Salvation Army would undergo something like this. I saw a quote in um, some Detroit newspaper, a Salvation Army officer there was quoted, directly quoted as saying, um, when I first saw the headline, the Salvation Army wants white donors to repent for racism, Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. And I said, I don't believe this. Then he looked at the packet, and then he said, oh man, this is true. And I think this is this is going to really rattle a lot of the people in the Salvation Army as well as the people who are giving to the Salvation Army. I think this, but however, I think this is a moment of opportunity. The Salvation Army has to make a statement. They have to come out, they have to come clean. They have to say, no, I, we don't believe America is a racist country. And then maybe they can win back some of those people. But if they don't do that, by the end of this Christmas, there will be no forgiveness. And these I people think, will leave forever. I think you make great points. And I'll tell you what, I also think uh, they're, they're, they may find themselves suddenly short on uh, thousands of volunteers because I am encouraging anybody that is a volunteer bell ringer and kettle worker uh, at the various locations to, to consider not doing it. Don't do it. Do not support this organization by being out there and raising funds for their racism and for their uh, intent to divide. Um, you know, this Christian organization is not doing something that's Christian here. Don't volunteer your time, and I hope there are more and more storefronts that go empty of bellwethers this year, and then that'll really make a difference. Kenny Shu is my guest. Kenny, I want to pivot to something that we didn't plan to talk about, but it's perfect because of your book. Uh, and uh-huh. you know, excuse me. And when you talk about uh, your your book, uh, the inconvenient minority, the attack on Asian American excellence, and the fight for meritocracy, the story about California's math experiment is perfect. California has proposed woke new math curriculum uh, that is so bad it has been called by uh, hundreds of mathematicians and 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 professors and teachers and technology and engineering professionals. Five hundred ninety-seven, to be precise, wrote a letter to the California Department of Education calling their new plan to dumb down math in the interest of equity and in the interest of diversity. Uh, they call it the height of irresponsibility. Now, we have seen this in a number of other places before, and I'm asking you particularly, again, because of your book, and you talk about uh, Asian Americans and how they are used in such ways, and I want your thoughts on this. When they dumb down math, it is, as, it is without question, it is a racist uh, endeavor because they are essentially saying that people of color aren't good at math. And asking them to be as good as, uh, you know, the white kids at math is, is unfair. And in order to achieve equity, we have to make math not so hard so that they can achieve to a, to a higher level. That's racism against the people of color, assuming because of their color that they can't do math as well. But I want your thought on it from the Asian point of view. Because Kenny, Asians are, uh, Asian Americans are pretty much used by the left depending upon the issue. If, uh, a case like this where Asian Americans are generally speaking super successful at higher math and STEM, they are not considered people of color because it ruins the narrative about the equity. They're considered to be almost white. But when it comes to being victims of crime or victims in other ways, Asian Americans, it's now they're people of color, and it just goes on to show more about white supremacy and white privilege and the, the racist uh, nature of this country, because look at what was done to these Asian folks. So it's a tough thing. Maybe you can shed some light on this. Are Asian Americans part of the minority, or are they part of the white majority? Yeah, no, this is, um, 
this is why I titled my book An Inconvenient Minority, because the way that Asians are used in the less racial discourse is maddeningly inconsistent. And that's just one of the points I make in my book, An Inconvenient Minority. But just take a look at math, for example. Yeah. So school administrators, public school administrators love Asians. Why? Because Asians prop up their average score <laughs> for their school so they can point to some kind of progress. They love using Asians for the purpose of propping up their average scores for their school um, to get more funding and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. But then they go back and they turn around and they actively discriminate against Asians by making all of these equity math classes and, and basically forcing high-achieving math students to be in the same classroom as low-achieving math students, which is, by the way, a horrible way to teach. Yeah. Because at that point, the high-achieving student is not going to get the education that they need that challenges them. They're going to get discouraged. The studies show this. And the low-achieving students are going to get resentful and jealous of the fact that there are higher-achieving students. Everybody needs to learn at their own pace. And what an inclusive math is doing right now is it's saying we need to dumb down the pace for everybody. So how, how's that going to how's that going to fly in our in our culture? Is that going to create more scientists and engineers or fewer scientists and engineers? Um, so Asians are are used. To, to prop up whatever, and another thing that another way that Asians are used, by the way, is they're used to prop up diversity scores. So diversity consultants would like to say, "Look, companies with more diversity make more profit," but they're including the Asians. So they're like, right. "Companies with more diversity, meaning more Asians, make more profit." But then when they do their DEI programs, they don't care about Asians at all. They just want to help. Not they just want to help. They just want to prop up more specifically black and more Hispanics. But they want to discriminate against Asians to do that. So it's a maddening way, and this is why I'm on the record going out on tour, talking in my book, An Inconvenient Minority, that Asians have to reject this ideology once and for all. Well, Kenny Shu, I completely concur. It is, um, it is, it is a remarkable thing the way Asian Americans are used, uh, again, primarily by the left for their own, you know, for their own personal, uh, you know, advantages, uh, you know, in their own agendas. Um, I'm going to ask one last question of you about this, uh, and, it, and I'm trying to be delicate here because, of course, it is frowned upon to to racially stereotype in any way. But but if the stereotype is a positive, I'm hoping I can get away with it. Generally speaking, when it comes to achievement in math, um, Hispanics score higher than African Americans, whites score higher than Hispanics, and Asian Americans score higher than whites. It's just generally there's just statistics. Uh, that's not an opinion. My question, though, that may sound stereotypical, racially stereotypical, is why? Why are Asian students so much better at math than the other ethnicities and races, at least in the United States? Is there, is there, a, is there something you can point to for that? I, I, I've always wondered. Look, we're talking in averages here. Okay? There are definitely some dumb Asians, and so there are definitely a lot of very smart blacks. Um, and, and thousand percent right true. Yeah, we're, we're talking averages, <laughs> but, right. But... If you want to know why Asians disproportionately do better, it's because of they study more hours. That's why. It's, it's, it's really not that difficult. Asian Americans study twice as many hours as the average American. You know, the average white person studies seven hours a week. The average Asian person studies 15. 
the average black person studies five. Um, the uh, Asian American, because of that, you know, it's nothing genetic, really. It's, it's just the fact that you come after school and your, your parents are putting more books in your face. Um, right. to, to more math problems to do. You gotta, you gotta, and you can say, okay, this is Asian culture, but this is really culture that anybody can emulate, right? Anybody can go borrow a book from the public library and, uh, borrow a textbook from the public library, make copies of it, or take screenshots of it, and then ask the kid to do it. You know, it's just that Asians are the ones that are at primarily executing that because, right. because they feel scarcity in this country, right? You come here, you don't have any, generational social connections, no inherited wealth, how are you going to advance your family and society? Well, it has to be through education, so they really believe in it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think it is also cultural as well, because in Asian countries themselves, much less Asian Americans, but that is where this, uh, you know, this mentality and this work harder, spend more time studying, improve yourself, uh, mentality is fostered. And, you know, and we see that. And we see where America stands when it comes to math, for example, uh, you know, on world's, world rating scales. Um, you know, we're down, we're behind, and primarily behind Asian countries that do indeed prioritize that kind of study and that kind of work ethic that you say correctly, anybody can adopt and anybody can implement, but in the Asian cultures and communities, they have done so, where others have just maybe talked about it. And it's, a, you know, and it's, and it's really a sad thing that they are used, as you said, to prop up scores and so forth in the way that they are. Kenny Shu is the author of An Inconvenient Minority. It's a fascinating book, and it's a fascinating topic, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny, it's always good to talk to you. Keep up the great work that you do, and thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, nine fifty-five. Right back. Real quick, a follow-up on something that uh, Kenny Shu and I were talking about. Um, this story from uh, uh, News 5, and thank you to Marcy for flagging this, what I was just talking about and telling people don't volunteer to ring the bell and work the kettles for the Salvation Army this year until they stop their racial division and their hatred that they are trying to foment between the races, um, I guess I don't need to speak very loudly. It's already happening. Headline, Salvation Army in need of bell ringers down thousands of dollars in donations. In Northeast Ohio, the goal is to raise $650,000 from the Kettles. And according to this news report from News 5, they're down about $50,000 so far, and it's only December 9th. Uh, so they are begging for bell ringers, and they are begging for donations. And I will continue to tell you, let them beg. They can beg for our forgiveness, if they want, for telling us that we have to be ashamed of what we look like, or if we are a person with darker skin, that we have to be looking for apologies from people with lighter skin uh, for things that they didn't do. Uh, this is this is just the worst um, idea that I've ever heard, in particular coming from a Christian organization that is supposed to be about unity, unity through Christ, unity through our Christian beliefs, not division, separatism, uh, and, and, and animosity and hatred, asking people who have done nothing but be born, and that's their crime, being born with lighter skin, to apologize to people who apparently should feel bad about being born with darker skin. 
even though one has done nothing to the other, but they look like people who have done bad things in previous you know times. It's 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 one of the most anti-Christian, one of the most ridiculous things that I think I've ever heard. It's a Christian organization, a Christian ministry, the Salvation Army. It's supposed to bring people together through Christ instead of making them hate one another. No, Salvation Army, we will not be ringing your bells, and if we do hear them, we will not be dropping our coins or folding our dollars and putting them, putting them in the kettle. There's a lesson that needs to be learned here, and you need to get back to the Christian principles upon which the Army was founded. You're not doing it right now. Dr. Everett Piper next, AM 1420, The Answer. Will you stand above me? Look my 